closing? I mean, yeah, yep. Um, that's going to be the stand and A, whole song. Uh, before we do that, are there any questions on Living Hope? We all have our order on how we're going to do stuff. It sounded great. I'm biased, but I still think it sounds great. That's what I think. All right, so the stand will be the whole song. The trick will be starting this track because it's just so random on how this thing starts, but... Stand with arms high and heart of 
something incredibly smart and witty. I'm not going to do that today. We'll just, we'll just move on. Uh, I told you I was going to talk to you a little bit about DRT. Uh, one of the things that we want to do is collect for them, particularly water. Every time there's a natural disaster, water is the thing. So many people think it's a thousand other things. Every time, go back through history, it's always water, 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 water. That's the most immediate need because so many things get contaminated during that time. So one of the things we want to do, although we haven't made this decision yet, we want to collect uh, as much water as we can and send it to them. What we're going to need in order to do that is a truck and a trailer. Now, if you look out in the parking lot, there's a million trucks. That's really not the issue. Trailers are sometimes harder to come by, though. Uh, so if you've got something that you can donate, a, a sizable trailer, uh, Greg Canal has already offered to take that, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll get water to them as much as we can. That's always the, the need, the immediate need. Now, you can also help serve in other ways with DRT. You can donate to them. You can actually go there and work with them. Um, this disaster relief team, Church of Christ disaster relief team. Um, so, if you have a uh, trailer that you're willing to let us fill up, um, and again, a, of a decent size so we can fill it up, uh, please let me know, call the office, and we'll get, that, we'll get that done. Until we have secured that, I told Katrina this. I, I said, she said, do you want to collect water because this is what they need? I said, not yet. I said, I want to make sure we have secured the way to get it there, and then we'll collect what we need. Uh, I don't want to collect it and not have any way to get it there. So once we've secured that, then I'll talk to you about uh, donating the water and different things. The other thing I said I was going to talk to you about is uh, a picture at the end of service, uh, at the end of second service. What we'll do is, if you're hanging around, if you're still here, uh, we will wait until all of the kids have been checked out of the backyard after second service, and then we will come around to the front of the church. Uh, We will then line up alphabetically according to height, and then once we're done, we'll just leave from there and go around to the back, and we'll have our... uh, have our picnic. Was that Yogi Berra that said that? No, it was Casey Stengel, I think. That's baseball. Baseball applies all the time to everything. Everything in life. Even today, swinging a myth. We're gonna, we're, baseball applies at some point. We'll get there in just a moment. The other thing I want to do is uh, remind you that we need a couple more crew leaders, three more crew leaders for WrestleMania. Three more, that's it. Three more crew leaders. You're just you're helping kids walk around to uh, the various stations uh, on Wednesday evening. And so if you want to be a crew leader on Wednesday evening, you can talk to Laura about that or you can talk to me and we'll get you plugged in. Uh, two other big things. Number one, the eldership has decided to make Joe Ramsey 
uh, an elder in the church. Joe, could you stand, please? Now, for some of you, this may seem a little strange. Joe has served as an elder before, hasn't he? Uh, but there was a point, there was a time uh, a few years ago when he resigned eldership. It was not treated as a leave of absence. That has happened before in the past, uh, but it was not treated that way. And uh, God's been working on his heart. The elders have been working on his heart. I mean, uh, uh, Becky's probably been working on his heart. Um, and there's this, there's this desire to continue to lead, to teach, to instruct, uh, to help in this church any way that he can. And so uh, he approached the elders again um, this past prayer meeting he was in with us. And he said, guys, he says, I, I want to be an elder again. And, of course, the elders have talked to him. We vetted him. We know his character. And we have decided then to make him an elder in the church. And we want to do it the right way since it was treated originally as a resignation. Because of that, we will have a vote of affirmation, not confirmation. We'll have a vote of affirmation um, on Sunday, two weeks from now. On Sunday, two weeks from now. In those two weeks, your job, your responsibility is to bring to the eldership uh, any character flaws that make Joe unfit for service in this church. It's probably, this is going to be huge, the list. I don't know how we're going to make it through all that. Um, by the way, we've crossed this, uh, we, we've dealt with this before, anonymous uh, uh, issues with Joe's character. That doesn't count, all right? And I mean that. I mean that. You come to the eldership. You talk to the eldership uh, if there's any issues with Joe's character. Um, and that's what that two weeks is for, starting now. And then... Uh, two weeks from now on Sunday, we will have a vote of affirmation. And, and that's for people in the church, members of the church. We'll talk about that a little bit later on uh, when we get there. But you know Joe. Uh, Joe knows most of you. And uh, for those of you who do not know Joe, talk to him. Talk to him. Ask him. Know who he is. And uh, you can talk to the rest of the eldership. Talk to Joe and Becky. Um, you know, Wes. Wes is, is their son, Laura. Their, uh, their uh, daughter-in-law is our, our children's minister. Okay, thank you. I think we're done here. Um, so please keep that in mind. That'll be two weeks from now. While this is a good day and a fun day, this is also kind of a sad day. Um, Cody mentioned last week that Ed is uh, resigning. He is, he is done. Ed, could you come up here, please? Go with red, Paul. Um, now, for nine years, nine years, right? For nine years, Ed, I've butchered your name. Not the Ed part, right? <laughs> but, but the Denneke or Denneke? Go ahead. Denneke. See, I was going with Denneke. And I, I walked in here and I was going to say Denneke. Because we don't address each other usually every morning as, hello, Ed Denneke. You know, hello, John Watkins. That's right, that's right. Tell you what. Test, test. There you go. Um, and Ed, uh, because this is, um, he's very special to this church, and he is very special to me personally. Uh, all the service and work that he has done uh, to make this place, to keep this place up. Uh, he wants to address you, and he wants to thank you uh, for who you are and what you are. So, uh, Ed, why don't you, uh, why don't you take and a moment? And say goodbye, too. Yeah. Um, it's nice to see you. Um, you guys are the reason I had job security, people that came in the building and made a mess. 
Without you, I wouldn't have had a job. So. I, uh, I'm going to read um, what I wanted to say. I've tried to memorize. I probably could say it without, but uh, I don't want to ramble on. Um, I don't want to say um any more than I'm already saying it. So if you don't mind, I'm just going to read it and uh, just share my love for you guys and for what God's given me while I was here. In uh, 2011, before Marilyn and I moved here from Illinois, we often came to Ohio to visit our daughter, Becky, her husband, Aaron, and our first grandson, Hudson. Well, every time we came, we attended church at Rush. So when we eventually moved here, we weren't strangers to Craig Howie, who was the pastor at the time. Um, sorry about that. So when, uh, after we were here, uh, well, sorry, I'm getting so nervous. So when we eventually moved here, we weren't strangers to Craig Howie, who was pastor at Rush at the time. Craig invited me to interview with Lynn Cleveland for the part-time custodian job at the church, and Lynn uh, hired me. That was nine years ago. The staff here at Rush can tell you that I have always looked at my job here as ministry. Whether I was cleaning bathrooms or resetting the sanctuary, all of it has been a ministry to me. And I honestly count it an honor to have served God at Rush in this way. But the staff could tell you something else that I did at Rush that I counted my special ministry. And truth be told, it, was more to, it meant more to me than anything else I did here, and that was my involvement with BBS. When I first came to Rush, my daughter Becky was the secretary, and one of her assignments was to help Ben Moore decorate the church for VBS. I became Becky's helper and understudy. I watched as she turned the entire church building into an immersive environment for the children. It was incredible to behold. When Becky left, I took over the VBS decorating position, and when Laura Ramsey joined the uh, staff as the new children's ministry leader, she allowed me to continue on in that role. The staff here at Rush knows how much VBS has meant to me, and for the past nine years, I have been blessed to work alongside many other dedicated VBS lovers. But now, God has signaled to my wife and me that he has other plans for us. About a year ago, we began to feel a stirring, and as much as I would love to stay here among you and continue serving God together with John, Katrina, Laura, Cody, and all of you, I know that God is calling me elsewhere. In addition to keeping Marilyn my number one priority after God, I believe he has called me to write children's books. In 2014, my first children's book, What Happens at School When You're Not There, was published. It is a whimsical picture book that answers the title question, what happens at school when you're not there. The concept for it grew out of my interaction with children during the years I worked as the head custodian in an elementary school in Illinois. My new book is called The World Beyond the Toy Box. It is an adventure story that emphasizes the power of hope as its theme. Like in the Chronicles of Narnia series, uh, written by C.S. Lewis, 
my protagonist learns biblical truths in a fantasy world filled with great challenges. I believe it is a God-ordained story for the children of this time in history. Uh, for the past few years, while I have been researching and preparing to write the first book, this first book, in a connected four-book series, John, Katrina, Laura, and Cody have been supporting me in prayer. So I am not leaving Rush to run away from here, I'm, uh, but to join, I'm sorry, but to run towards God and what God is calling me to do next. Thank you for letting me serve here at Rush these past nine years. <laughs> you have the book that you've already done in front of you, right? Yeah. I'm working on another uh, picture book like this called the No Nap Book. It's Tell you what, here, hang on to this when you talk, won't you? Oh. If, you if you're going to talk. Yeah, I, I thought like, you were going to speak I, anymore. I, That's <laughs> why I took that. You gave me a mic. I know, you I did. You gave me the stage and the opportunity. Right. Um, this book uh, I wrote, and it was published in 2014, but I'm working on another uh, picture book called the No Nap Book. It's about a little boy that gives all these fan fantastical reasons why he shouldn't take a nap. And uh, I'm going to try to get that published as well. But uh, the book that I'm, that I'm working on now is a chapter book, and mm -hmm. that's been year, years it's of progress. It's a big deal. That's right. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, you've been, you've been researching this for a while, and now it's time to... I started to write it. I actually had the idea for it about 40 years ago. And then it so sat, quite a while. Yeah, and then you know things happen. Life yeah. goes on, and it gets put on the side. And then, um, in the yeah. maybe in the last ten years, it's resurfaced. And in the last five years, a lot of work. Sure, sure. Well, hey Ed, I just here I'll take this. I want to pray uh, for you and Marilyn. Marilyn's over here. I asked, hey, and I said, hey Marilyn, you can come up here and join us. She said, no, no. Uh, and I just want to I want to pray for you and and Marilyn, and your family. Would you, would you go to God with me, please? Father, I thank you for Ed. I thank you for Marilyn. I thank you for their family. I thank you for his service here, and I thank you for uh, his love. I thank you, Father, uh, personally. I thank you for his friendship. I, I thank you that we were able to connect in that way. I thank you also for his attitude, him and Marilyn, their love for one another, their devotion to Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, for the, uh, the cool drink of water that he was around here during his time and his service. I ask, Father, that you will continue to bless your son and daughter, that you will continue to shower grace upon them, that you will give them strength and comfort and safety as they continue to move forward with wonderful things in life, Father, and that we will continue to remember uh, his incredible service here and the different things uh, and, and the different ways in which sometimes, uh, sometimes we take for granted. Uh, the wonderful things that he has done, done. I thank you, Father, to help us to remember those things. Thank you for this chapter, this nine years. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, congratulations, brother. Well, Ed's book that he holds in his hand is not the only one he has here. There are other books here. Um, and you can grab one. You can grab one. Um, you can buy one. I'm getting one for Sam. I don't know if we've already got one or not. <coughs> um, do we have, have we already gotten? We haven't? Okay. Well, I'm going to get one. We're going to get one for Sam today. And uh, he has some here if you want to get those books. Um, and we also, I have secured at least a promise that we're going to get the first draft or at least the first copy of the, the new book, the big book. And uh, I'm excited to, <coughs> to read about that. 
I feel like I know some things already uh, just through conversation. Uh, your service um, has been wonderful. It's been, it's been perfect, Ed, and I thank you um, for everything that you have done here. And uh, I thank you for both of you for your continued friendship. Thank you very much. What is a myth? What's a myth? Swing and a myth. You know, sometimes we don't even fully recognize or understand even what a myth is. And yet we can get sucked into some of these myths about Scripture. A myth is simply this, a false belief or idea that is widely held. That is a false belief or idea that is widely held. It's different than a superstition, and it's not necessarily an opinion or a disputable matter in Scripture, but it is something false. Widely held, widely regarded as true, but false, false belief, false idea. We get tripped up by myths. We can get sucked into myths about the Word of God and about the character of God and the life of the believer in Christ. I was reading through uh, a, a book a while back by Larry Osborne, uh, Ten Dumb Things That Smart Christians Believe. Now, I changed that a little bit for this series. I just simply said ten myths that many Christians believe. Uh, I think that's a little nicer to put it that way. However, before I even read the book, I, I read through, first of all, I always research the author, and then I read through the different myths that he was going to talk about. Before I even went into the book and just read the topics, and I thought to myself, yep, I've heard that one. Yep, I've heard that one too. I've heard that one, and I've heard that one. And I thought to myself, you know, this is a point, this is a moment where we can get deeper into our Christian walk. This is what's been happening for the past year and a half, two years. We start with being saved by trusting Jesus. And this is what we were talking about some time ago. And then we get deeper and deeper into the knowledge of Jesus Christ, the understanding of the Word of God and challenges And these are some of the things that we will come across as we go through this life. I don't want us to get taken in by myths. Myths abound. This can happen a number of different ways. It can happen through false teaching. That is a deliberate twisting of the Word of God. It can happen through incorrect teaching. Maybe through negligence. We know that that is bad. But maybe it's just a mistake. It can come through speculation. And this is where the majority of myths come from. This is the way I think it ought to work, therefore this is the way it works. And we add to that speculation some conversation. And these myths about Scripture, these myths about the character of God perpetuate themselves. Over the next few weeks, I hope to dispel some widely held beliefs uh, uh, and understandings that are simply false. And many of these are passed down from generation to generation. You know, so I, and I want you to understand that. As we go through these, we may correct some of the teaching of, of a dear, sweet grandmother, but we are at no point uh, questioning her character. We're not questioning her character or her trust in Jesus Christ, none of those things. We're simply correcting some of the ways in which we know and understand Scripture. Faith can move mountains. You've probably heard this before. Maybe you've said this before. Faith can move mountains. This comes from a place in Scripture. 
In fact, the scripture is Matthew chapter 17. You've probably heard this before. Jesus replied, he's talking to his disciples after they could not drive out evil spirits. (coughs) He replied, they said, why couldn't we do it? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Again, in Luke 17, he says the same thing. He just uses a different example. Luke 17, he replied, If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. You ever ever wonder if a verse like that is true? You ever wonder if that really passes muster? Because I've never seen, and I've only been alive 41 years, but I've never seen. We've been married 11 years, not 10. We thought it was 10 for a long time. We found out just this past week was actually 11. Um doesn't feel like 11. Doesn't feel like 11. That's in any event. I've never seen someone speak to a mountain and watch it move. I've never seen someone speak to a mulberry tree and see it be uprooted. Today I want to look at faith. Faith is this and know this. Faith is active and you have to say that. There was a time when you didn't have to say that. But now we have to add that to this definition in order to fully understand what faith is. Faith is active trust in Jesus Christ. Active or obedient, you can switch those in and out. It is active trust in Jesus Christ. Let me just take this to the grave with you, please. There is no such thing as trust in Jesus Christ and not acting upon that trust. That is not faith. That is not faith. I believe in the existence of Jesus. And that's it. That is not faith. That's not how faith is defined in Scripture. That's not how it is played out in your life. So do not fool yourself. Do not give yourself a false sense of security. And by the way, don't confuse yourself. Because if we don't understand that faith is active trust, that you act upon that profession, we will forever go through, through life and through Scripture never understanding what faith is. Never realizing how it works, the way it's supposed to work, the power behind it, why it's even given. Faith in Jesus. People say, oh, I have faith in Jesus. What does James say? Show me. Show me. Show me you have faith in Jesus. I'm reminded of a couple of stories. I don't have, these won't be on your screen. A couple of stories you you've probably remember. Uh, there's a point where Jesus is teaching inside of a building, and there's a group of friends and, a, and someone who cannot walk, right? And they do whatever they can to get them in front of Jesus. In fact, they go up to the roof, and they lower this man down into the presence of Jesus so that he can be healed. Uh, and, and because they were doing this, because they were acting upon this trust, the man was healed. I guarantee you they trusted Jesus before they acted on it, but it required them It required them to act upon their faith, their trust in Jesus Christ. Story of the bleeding woman. She reaches out. That's acting. That's that's active trust. She reaches out and touches Jesus. The blind men, people tell them to be quiet, be quiet, be quiet, but they don't care. Son of David, have mercy on us. It's acting in their trust in Jesus, faith is active trust in Jesus Christ. Faith is a command, it is a gift, and it is powerful. 
But faith is powerful because God is powerful and we trust him. You can have faith or you can have obedient trust to a lot of things other than God, but it lacks the power. Faith is powerful because God is powerful and we trust him. Faith is not a special elixir apart from the will of God. We trust his love, his sovereignty, and his promises. Unfortunately, through a misunderstanding of faith in Scripture, many are tempted to believe this myth that faith can fix anything. Faith can fix anything. You ever heard that? If you just have enough faith, right? If you just have enough faith, it'll work out. If you just have enough faith, it'll go your way. If you just have enough faith, then all of these issues, the problems, even the the difficult struggle that you're going through right now will go away. And if it doesn't, you don't have enough faith. We've heard this before. Sometimes we think faith is really, really wanting something to happen. Sometimes we think faith is really, really believing something's going to happen. Faith isn't any of those things. Faith is active trust in the word of Jesus Christ. That's what faith is. Faith is not meant to fix anything. Sometimes we think, I just need more faith, and we think things are going to work out the way we want, happily ever after. And if it doesn't, then maybe I've made a wrong turn. This is the valley that we find ourselves in in life. By the way, that's another myth that we're going to cover. If I find myself in a valley, I've taken a wrong turn. That's a myth. Maybe we think God doesn't care if this faith doesn't play out the way we want. Or maybe I don't even have faith if it doesn't play out the way I want. Then we wonder what faith is, and then we doubt, and then we live in fear, and then we try to work harder to assure our salvation, and so on and so on and so on down into the pit. Myth that faith can fix anything. A myth that faith can fix anything does not draw us closer to Jesus Christ. It drives us away from Jesus Christ because we do not understand what faith is. The myth comes from, first of all, look, faith is not self-confidence. It's not even confidence in a situation. Faith is not a plucky attitude. It's not even a positive one, for that matter. What we've said before is faith is submissive obedience to the Word of Christ. I can prove through Scripture that faith doesn't fix everything. Paul. Paul was a man of faith. He trusted and obeyed Jesus Christ, even unto death. That's faith. In fact, he went so far as to say, I desire to leave this body and be with Jesus. That's faith. But the following was also a part of Paul's life and his servant, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. I promise you, if faith can fix anything, I wouldn't have picked five times. I would have picked zero times, right? If faith can solve this, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. Don't worry, I see the storm on the horizon. The boat's going to be fine if you just have enough faith. Three times I was shipwrecked, says Paul. Did Paul not have faith? Did he not have enough faith? This is what we would say on the deck of the ship. Now I see the storm clouds. You just got to have faith. You just got to have faith. We think faith can fix anything. He says, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers 
in danger from bandits, in danger from Jews and Gentiles. I've been in danger of the city, danger in the country. I've been in danger at sea and in danger from false believers. I have labored and I have toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and, <coughs> and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and I've been naked. Or maybe you like this one from Paul, this man of faith, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. I don't know what it was, but it was bad. To a messenger of Satan to torment me. Faith can fix anything, right? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Verse 9, but he said to me, nope. No. My grace is sufficient for you. But I have faith. I thought faith was supposed to fix these things. If I just have enough faith, if I believe hard enough. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And this is the same man that says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. This is part of why we think faith can fix anything. Here, Paul's not talking about fixing every problem. He's not even talking about coming to a resolution. He's talking about finding peace through contentment in Jesus. In the face of hardship and in the face of plenty. He talks about perseverance. This is what faith does for us. He talks about giving over his life to Jesus. That's the secret he has found to find peace and joy in all situations. That's the power of faith. Church, Christians suffer and toil all the time. First Peter specifically addresses the protection of faith and the hardship we go through. First Peter chapter uh, 1, starting in the second part of verse 4, this inheritance, this inheritance of eternal life, is kept in heaven for you, who through faith... Obedient trust in Jesus Christ, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Now, right there, we, if we stop thinking, if we stop reading there, we go, oh, there we go. Enough faith protects me from all this stuff, fixes all of these things. No, no, Peter goes on. Shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have to suffer all kinds of griefs and trials. All kinds of griefs and trials, even in your obedience to Jesus Christ, even in your trust of Jesus Christ. There's not a special prayer. There's not a special incantation. It's not a special superpower. Because what we do then is we demand that God bend to our will instead of submitting to His. That's what faith is. Submitting to the will of God. <clears throat> Peter encourages them in their trials, reminding them that suffering has a purpose. I love this. <clears throat> so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though by refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Why do we go through the sufferings even though we have trust in Jesus? Because it's even the sufferings, it's the lows, it's the bads, it's the things we want to fix that we can't fix that guarantees the trust that we have in Jesus Christ. I wanted Jim Schneider to be healed of cancer. You did too, didn't you? I prayed, he prayed, you prayed. And I trusted by the way, praying, that's active faith. That's active trust. 
And I trusted then and I trust now that Jesus has the power to have healed Jim of his cancer. I trust that more than I know the sun's going to rise tomorrow. I trusted Jesus. Jim died. I trust Jesus still. Trust him. Jim trusted Jesus. Prayed his cancer would be taken. But the next day, when it wasn't, he still trusted Jesus. And he acted upon it. And the day after, and the day after, and the day after. What did he gain from this? The same thing that Peter tells us. The genuineness of his faith. He knew what he believed. I said this at his funeral. And he knew that he believed it. Because it was not fixed, because it was not healed, because it was not taken away, and yet he persisted in his obedient trust, Jim knew what he believed, and he absolutely knew that he believed it. That's what faith does for you and me. That's why faith doesn't fix everything. You know what faith is meant to fix? Faith is designed to fix one thing, one thing, only one thing in your life. Faith is designed to fix one thing in your life. What do you suppose that is? Faith is designed to fix you. That's it. Faith is designed to fix me. You see, that's what happens when you give your life, this broken life, over to Jesus. And then you trust him enough to do what he says you begin to be repaired, perfected, sanctified. You get to the place where your will, your desire, aligns with the desire of Jesus Christ. Because you've given over this life in obedience and in trust. I keep coming back to this. I know I've been coming back to this a lot over the past few weeks, but it's true. I have found the secret, says Paul, to peace, joy in the midst of hardship. My life is not my own. We walk around filled with anxiety, looking for peace and joy. We walk around with a troubled mind and a troubled heart looking for peace and joy. And we want the will of God to bend to our will when we pretend, when we say, when we act, when we have the incantation in Jesus' name. That's not faith. Faith is trusting the word of Jesus, the man Jesus, the character of Jesus, the truth of Jesus. You pour your life into that. And because of that, things get fixed. You get fixed in your own life. That's the purpose of faith. Are we to spread? Are we to pass that faith along? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're to show others. We're to teach others. We're to help others. That's part of of passing that faith to others. You may have heard Cody talk about something like that. But know this. Even then, your faith, the sanctification because of your obedient trust in Jesus Christ, your faith doesn't fix them. 
their faith does. Their obedient trust in Jesus Christ fixes them. Matter of fact, that goes very, uh, that's, it goes along with another myth that we're going to cover. Uh, a godly home guarantees godly kids. It's a myth. It's a myth. Godly home guarantees godly kids. We're going to get to that myth a little bit later on. So now we get back to this faith as small as a mustard seed moving mountains. Jesus is driving home the point here that true faith is surrender to the will of God. Again, this is the secret that Paul's talking about when he says, I could do all things. It's the secret he's talking about. It's the thing he's talking about when he says, I have found the secret. Faith does not fix trial. It sees us through trial. By the way, moving mountains in the verse that Jesus used, or that's the, he's using moving mountains in the very same way you and I do. The very same way you and I do. When we say mountains can be moved, it means you can endure through the difficulty. You can endure through the hardship. You can get the desire of God done in your life because of your trust in Jesus Christ. That's what he means by that. He's using it the same way you and I do. He uses the example of the mustard seed, by the way, which is really small. So don't tell me you've got to have more faith. Jesus isn't saying that. He says you've got to have authentic faith. He uses something very small for a reason. You've got to have authentic faith. The disciples asked him, why couldn't we drive out these evil spirits? They had before. Jesus sent them out and they drove out evil spirits. Well, here they were again. And they wanted to drive out evil spirits. They couldn't do it. And they asked Jesus, why couldn't we do it? He says, because you have so little faith, meaning inauthentic faith. You're exercising inauthentic faith right now. What was the difference? When they were new, less experienced, maybe a little younger, right? Jesus calls them in, teaches them, and then he sends them out. And while they're going out, in their hearts, their minds, their heads, they're saying, come what may, I am going to do what Jesus wants. That's faith. They begin to drive out evil spirits. Why couldn't they drive out the evil spirit now? Because now they had some experience. And now they're telling an evil spirit, I want you, instead of me bending to Jesus' will, I want you, evil spirit, to bend to mine. Because of my faith. And the spirit said, no. No. Ah, but when the disciples gave in to the will of Jesus, now that faith had incredible power. See, that's the difference. One of the reasons we think faith can fix anything is because we don't know what faith is. Faith is giving your life over to the trust of Jesus, trusting Jesus and obeying that. And then incredible things happen. It starts in your heart, your mind. That's where the power of faith comes from. So next time you're confronted with the question or the statement, hey, all you need is a little more faith. All you need is more faith. This is going to work out the way you want. I want you to remember in your own mind, your own heart, it's not about more faith. It is about authentic faith. What am I actually doing with my life? What is the purpose behind this? In the midst of the storm, 
in the midst of the trouble, in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the valley, in the midst of the cancer? Who am I following? What am I doing? Where is my trust? And is my trust being shown? Is it active in my life? Because that's the faith that heals the real person. Look, the spacesuit's going to come and go, guys, right? Sometimes this gets healed, sometimes it doesn't. But the real you, the real you is eternal. This is what faith is changing. This is what faith is fixing. Your heart, your mind, and full obedience to Jesus Christ. By the way, that's a hard thing to do. (laughs) Nobody ever said that was going to be easy. That's a hard thing to do. To give your life completely, totally, 100% over to Jesus, come what may. That's faith. That's faith. It's meant to fix you and me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we have a better understanding, maybe a, a, a quick understanding, perhaps, of what faith actually is. Father, even here, right now, this moment, praying to you, talking to you, this is, this is, this is, this is trust. So, Father, I ask, because we trust you, I ask that you will help us to remember in the face of difficulty that faith is meant to change us, that we are called and required to follow the word of Jesus Christ no matter what storm our ship may be going through. And Father, I ask that you will help us to trust, to trust that you love us, to trust that you are sanctifying us, trust that you care. Help us to realize what faith really is. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
We do have a picnic after church. We have a, a uh, church photo. I want to thank Ed and Marilyn for being here, and I certainly want to thank uh, them for their service and Ed's service here in the church. Thank you very much. We are to schedule dinner with them, by the way, Marilyn told me. Okay, just so we're aware. Um, also, if you're sticking around for lunch, don't forget Luke is teaching a class in the foyer during second service. My recommendation is to pepper him with just random questions, not even about scripture, just any question you can come up with. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us, the love that you show through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that we could be a part of your eternal body, your eternal family. We get to experience that now here today. Father, I ask that you will help us to come to grips with faith in our own life that we will reflect upon our lives and ask ourselves what we believe and who we follow so that faith will be abundant and abounding in our life and we will see your will work through us Father in Jesus name Amen And I'm getting hungry, so I want to get right into it. Um, I'm not going to start off with a usual piece of incredible wit. Uh, we're just going to jump right into it. All right. I know. Uh, number one, and, and, and this is very important. The rest of what I say isn't going to be important, but this is important. Um, the elders have decided uh, to make Joe Ramsey an elder of the church. Joe, would you stand? Uh, you and Becky. Um, 
Now, this may seem a little strange because Joe has served as an elder in the past. However, there was a moment, there was a time when, uh, a few years ago, when Joe resigned eldership. Uh, It was not treated as a leave of absence. That has happened in the past. This was not treated as such. Because it was not, uh, we want to set the precedent to go through the proper steps that we have laid out in order to bring him on as an elder. The uh, eldership knows him very well. Many of you know him very well. He's been vetted many times over the years. Uh, In the next two weeks, so two weeks from now, we will have a vote of affirmation. Affirmation, not confirmation. Again, the decision has already been made to make him an elder. Uh, The vote is to affirm that decision. Um, We'll have a vote of affirmation here on Sunday morning, so be here for that. Just like always, no absentee voting, no voting by proxy. Uh, You need to be here for that. And that's, yeah, that's that's laid out that way, guys. Uh, Yeah, you need to. I'll tell you, I want to tell you something. If you guys, you guys, if you guys want like a, a copy of all this stuff, you, you can always have it. We, we have it everywhere. In any event, uh, for the next two weeks, you have an opportunity to approach the eldership about any character issues, you know, uh, that prevent El, uh, Joe from serving as an elder. And again, anonymous character things does not count. Uh, you go to the eldership. And you talk to the eldership about that. I know the list is going to be long, Joe. I'm sorry. Um, However, I will tell you this. Uh, It is important perhaps for those of you, there are some people in here who may not know Joe. And so it's important in these next two weeks to either ask the eldership about him or ask Joe and talk to him about his life and his story. That you get that chance over the next two weeks and then two weeks from now we will have a vote of affirmation. Okay. Thank you both very much. Uh, The other thing, this is a good day and fun day, but also a sad day. Uh, Ed uh, is resigning uh, from uh, just just at least work here. He's going to continue to be busy and be working and doing all kinds of things in in life. But Ed Denicky is no longer going to be our custodian here. He's usually here on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Uh, And he has served well and served uh, uh, with distinction. He has been... A cool drink of water, I say, on on a dry and dusty road every time we get a chance to talk. Uh, Ed, could you come up here, please? Um, Many of you, probably most of you know Ed, uh, but some of you may not. Uh, They have always uh, wanted to, let me get your microphone, they have always wanted to worship in the community in which they live, and so they live in Bell Fountain, they worship in Bell Fountain. Uh, But Ed has served here for nine years. And he has even greater and grander things that he wants to do in his life and work on in his life and also to spend more time with Marilyn. Um, but, Ed, I know that you uh, want to address this church and, um, before, before you, you leave for good. And so, uh, so I'll just let you, you do that. Well, first of all, I want to thank you, Cassandra. Okay. I wanted to thank you for all the job security you've given me over the last nine years. <laughs> Whenever you're here and you make a mess... It's kept me employed. I want to. I want to be really brief. I just. I asked John if he'd give me permission to come and, and address you, and just thank you for the opportunity to be here for these last nine years. Uh, in 2011, um, my wife and I lived in Illinois, and our daughter uh, lived here in Ohio. She married Aaron Adelsberger. I don't know if you guys know the Adelsberger family. And so, uh, when she had her first our first grandson, 
we drove um, often from Illinois to Ohio to visit our, our daughter and our grandson and our, our son-in-law. And every time we came uh, to Ohio, we attended Rush Church. So we were coming here for a year before we, uh, long before we moved here. And uh, during that year, I got to know Craig Howie. He was a pastor at the time. And when we, when we eventually did move here, Craig invited me to interview with Lynn Cleveland uh, for the, a part-time custodian position here at Rush Church. And Lynn hired me. So that was nine years ago. Um, the staff would tell you that I have, from day one, always referred to my cleaning uh, of the church here as my ministry. Whether I was cleaning bathrooms or resetting the sanctuary, it didn't make any difference. Whatever I was doing here, I, con I considered it ministry. Um, but the staff would also tell you that I had something that I considered my special ministry, and that was VBS. So, <laughs> when I first started to work here, my daughter Becky was the secretary, and she helped Ben Moore decorate the church for VBS. So when I started to work here, I was uh, Becky's helper and Becky's understudy. <laughs> and I watched as she turned the entire building into an immersive environment for VBS, and I was just blown away by it. So when Becky left, I had already been working with her a couple of years, and I took over in that role as the decorating person for VBS. And when Laura Ramsey took over as the children's ministry leader, she allowed me to stay in that role uh, as far as the decorating. And so we worked together, and I've worked with some amazing people. You've seen what's here uh, during VBS. We are, have been gifted with unbelievable people that I have <laughs> been enjoying working with for those nine years. But about a year ago, maybe a little longer, my wife and I began to feel a stirring inside that God was doing something different. When we began to realize I would be leaving my role here, I, I told Marilyn, not before VBS. That's the first thing I said, not before VBS. And then um, oh, we approached John just recently, and I, I told him that God was doing that. Back in 2014, um, I, I uh, got my first children's book published. It's a book, when I worked at the school district, the kids would come up and ask me what I was doing, and I'd come up with some funny story about that. There was elephants in the, in the building, or aliens, or whatever. And I told them funny stories, and those stories became the basis for this, for this book. So I knew that I, I liked children's literature. Then, um, years ago, and it kind of came to fruition recently, I really have been putting my heart and soul into a book. It kind of follows along like the Chronicles of Narnia style, where it's a fantasy story with Christian morals in there and Christian, you know, beliefs kind of sprinkled throughout. And so I've been working on a book like that for the last number of years. And uh, the staff here and staff meetings has often prayed with me about uh, the book that I'm working on. So I know that um, I'm leaving my cleaning position here, but I'm going, um, I, I tell people uh, that uh, Marilyn, my wife, is my first priority under God, you know, but uh, she's my first priority, but I feel God's calling me to really dedicate myself into the children's books. So the book I'm writing now is called The World Beyond the Toy Box, and like I said, it's very similar to the Chronicles of Narnia kind of a story. And uh, I'm asking God to, to really use that book because it's the, the theme of it is the power of hope, and I think we're in a, in a time period where children really could, could need to hear about hope again. 
So I'm not uh, running away from Rush Church. I'm running towards something um, that I feel God's calling me to do. But I'm so grateful that I got to be here uh, with all of you, and especially with the staff. I'm sure you guys know it. You see John up here. I don't know how familiar you are with Cody and Laura and Katrina, but they're just amazing people. I've been so blessed to work alongside of them, and I'm going to miss being there. So thank you, John. Well, let's see this. I, I do agree that uh, we are amazing people. I, I also, though, <laughs> I also know that there's a few of these books out here, right? And you guys, can, you guys can purchase these books. We're getting one for Sam today. What happens at school when you're not there? Um, and uh, Ed likes to write. He, he's, uh, I'm excited about your, your new book. And the, the promise still stands. We get the first, we get the first one, right? That's, one more second. This book, uh, I illustrated it as well, and there's a lot of hidden things in there. I've got a piece of paper inside that there's 20 hidden things, like, like the Where's Waldo kind of idea. There's 20 hidden things. So if you're interested in that kind of book, that's in there too. It's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. Well, Ed, I appreciate uh, your service, and I appreciate your friendship. We prayed for you and Marilyn in the first service, and I know God does not forget uh, when we talk to him, but I think it might be beneficial for other people in here to have a chance to pray for you and over you. So I'll, we're just going to do that again, if that's all right. Father, I thank you for Ed, and I thank you for Marilyn. I thank you for their family. I thank you for who he is, what he is, and I thank you that you have blessed this church with his presence, his work, his service. And I thank you that you have blessed me and my family with his friendship. I ask, Father, again, just as we, we asked you a few moments ago, and it's just as real, just as true, I ask that you will bless him. I ask that... You will give him undeserved favor as your grace is poured out. I ask, Father, that you will give him joy and peace as he continues to surrender more of his life to you. And that uh, we will learn and grow from incredible gifts that you gave him. Uh, the gift to write and the gift to teach, the gift to entertain through all of that. I thank you, Father, that you've blessed this life and creation with people like Ed. And I thank you that we've gotten, over the past nine years, to experience... Um, a, a wonderful and beautiful creation. Amen. All right. Enough of that. We're done, right? See you, Ed. Hey. <laughs> We're having dinner with them. I think Ashley and I are having dinner with them here in a couple of weeks. Uh, swing and a myth. We're going to go into a series on myths in Scripture or some of the myths that people have about Scripture. I was reading a book uh, by Larry Osborne. First thing I do always is research the author, and then I look into the books. And as I was, re I, I hadn't intended on reading this particular book, but I was reading through just the bullet points of the different myths that people have about Scripture. And every time I would read through one, just at the front of the book, I would say to myself, well, yeah, I've heard that before. And, oh, I've heard that one before. And, oh, yeah, I've had a discussion about that one before. And after a while, and this was some time ago that I was reading this book, after a while I began to think, you know, at some point in the sermon calendar, I want to put uh, this, you know, present this type of thing to the rest of the church. Because there are many things that I've talked to people about, uh, sometimes in the church, sometimes out of the church, but I've heard many of these myths in life. And, uh, you know, these myths are 
usually uh, often done with the best of intentions, but sometimes they can unfortunately lead us astray. We can get sucked into myths sometimes. First of all, a myth is a widely held but false belief or idea. Widely held but false belief or idea. Uh, sometimes we think we know the way something works, and, and we don't. As a matter of fact, we were watching, watching a ball game the other day, and uh, I, Sam's watching, you know, and, and the guy's up there, he, he swings, he strikes out, strike three, right? And then the batter takes off and he runs to first, and he's safe. And Sam's just blown away. He said, how does that work? The guy struck out and he still ran to first. And so I went into explaining the actual rules of baseball. And to him, this was just blown his mind. I never knew it worked that way. I didn't realize you could do those types of things. I didn't realize that's the way the game actually worked. And there's a lot of things we think work a certain way. Uh, but when we dive into it and really understand some of the rules and, 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 of baseball and other things, we realize that we don't have the whole picture. And myths are born from partial pictures sometimes. Sometimes they're born from false teaching that is deliberately twisting the Word of God. Sometimes myths come from incorrect teaching, whether it's through negligence, and we learned a couple weeks ago that that's a bad thing, or maybe just a mistake. It can often, myths can often be perpetuated through speculation. Speculation about the way something ought to work. And therefore, that's the way it does work. We say to ourselves, I don't know much about it, but this is the way it ought to work. Therefore, this is the way it does work. That's worldly wisdom trying to understand Scripture. They can be passed from generation to generation and, and, and with the best of intentions. So while we're going through this series, just know that we may correct the teaching of a, a dear sweet grandmother who taught you over the years, but we are not questioning her character. Okay, we're not questioning her trust in Jesus, her eternal life, or anything like that. We're simply correcting some of this teaching. I don't know what the reactions are going to be. I mentioned sort of in the form of jest a couple of weeks ago that I didn't know the reactions. Uh, But really, it's not a joke. I'm sure about the teaching, uh, but I don't know how everyone's going to accept some of these things. Some of these myths are tightly held. Um, one of them is going to be quite difficult for some people. The last myth we get to, um, people who die go to a better place. Uh, that's even to say that that's a myth is hard for many people to grapple with, okay? So uh, these are going to be difficult reactions perhaps for some of you. And so I would say this. Number one, don't keep your questions to yourself. Ask me. Talk to me. Talk to the eldership. Talk to a trusted uh, source to dive a little bit deeper into these things. And secondly, don't engage in speculation. That's where myths are born, in speculation and half-knowledge and worldly wisdom trying to figure things out, okay? Today, I want to address the myth that faith can fix anything. Faith can fix anything. That's a myth. Faith can move mountains. You ever heard that? I've heard faith can move mountains. As a matter of fact, you've, you've probably heard that. You've either heard that or you've used it. Faith can move mountains. And most likely, you've gotten that from Scripture or the person you're talking to has got it from Scripture. In Matthew chapter 17, you're familiar with this. Jesus replied, he's replying to the disciples, the disciples cannot drive out evil spirits. Uh, they, they could before, but they can't today. 
And so they asked why. Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Just before I go on, you know people who have faith, right? You ever seen that? Anybody in this church, have you ever seen that? Nobody. See, this is the kind of thing that makes me wonder if verses like this actually pass muster. I mean, is, 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 is the fact, uh, is, is faith broken? Do we not have faith? Do you not know how to express faith? Because I read something like this, and I've never experienced, never even heard about it. Never even read it throughout all of history. Never heard of anybody speaking to a mountain and the mountain moving from one place to another. He says the same thing in Luke chapter 17. He uses a different example. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to a mulberry tree, be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it will obey you. Today we're looking at faith. This is what faith is. Faith is active, and you have to say that. There was a time when we didn't have to say that because we realized what trust is. But we don't realize what trust is anymore. Faith is active trust in Jesus Christ. You can say active, you can say obedient. That may make any difference. Obedient trust in Jesus Christ. Active trust in Jesus Christ. If you leave out the action, if you leave out the obedience, I don't care what you say you believe. Doesn't matter to me. Doesn't matter to Scripture. Doesn't matter to God Himself. What does James say? Faith without actions is dead. It's worthless. It means nothing. You could say you trust Jesus all you want, but if your life does not reflect that, if your mind, your heart, your actions, if you do not move upon it, James tells us that's worth it. In fact, that whole passage talks about the genuineness of one's faith. He says it's worthless, worthless faith. Faith is active trust in Jesus Christ. Now we begin, we're just starting to see the tip of why faith is actually powerful. It is active, obedient trust in who and what Jesus is. It is obedient trust in the Word of Jesus. Again, that entire passage in James chapter 2, this won't be on your screen, but it's about proving the genuineness of your faith. Giving your life over to Jesus inevitably results in the works of Jesus. Salvation is through faith alone, but that faith is never going to be alone. Faith is a command. It's a gift, and it is indeed powerful. But faith is powerful because God is powerful, and we trust God. You can have active trust in a hundred different things, but they all lack the power of active trust in Jesus Christ. That's where your power comes from. Faith is not a special word, a special elixir, or some dance and incantation apart from the will of God. It's not some special thing, unique thing that we say, and therefore God must bend to our will. He must bend to my will. After all, didn't I ask this in the name of Jesus? See, we think that often we say the right things, we do the right things, and this is faith. And faith doesn't work the way we think it ought to. God's love, His sovereignty, His promises... These are the things we give our lives over to. These are descriptions of faith. Unfortunately, through a misunderstanding of faith in Scripture, many are tempted to believe that faith can fix anything. 
if you just have enough faith, right? You ever heard that? You ever said that? Well, if you just have enough faith, then everything's going to work out. If you just have enough faith, then this problem's going to go away. If you just have enough faith, you're not going to have to go through the hardship and the difficulty that's on the horizon. If you just have enough faith, then the loved one is going to get well again. Sometimes we think that faith is really, really wanting something. Really, really bad. Sometimes we think that faith is really, really believing something's going to happen. It's not faith. That's how we use it. If you just have enough faith, if you just really, really, really believe something's going to happen. Faith is giving your life over to Jesus Christ. If we just have enough faith, we'll have happily ever after. And by the way, if it doesn't, then maybe I've done it wrong when it comes to faith. Maybe it means I've done something wrong. That's, we find ourselves in a valley. That's another myth we're going to look at through this series. If I find myself in a valley, I've taken a wrong turn. That's a myth. If I find myself in a valley, I've taken a wrong turn. That's a myth. But that's another one we're going to look at. Maybe if it doesn't work out the way we want, even though we think we have faith, we say to ourselves, God doesn't care. Or maybe we say to ourselves, maybe I don't have faith in Jesus. Then we wonder what faith is when we believe these myths. And then we doubt. And when we doubt, we live in fear. And then when we live in fear, we try to work harder to assure our salvation. And so on and so on and so on. Down the pit we go. Faith is active trust in Jesus Christ. You've heard it said, if I have enough faith, things will work out the way I want, the way I envision. I hate to be too abrupt, but that's nonsense. Faith doesn't work that way. The myth comes from a number of different passages. We've already looked at one verse. And as we go into this, I'll just remind you, first of all, faith is not self-confidence. It's not even confidence about a situation. Faith is not a plucky attitude. For that matter, faith is not even a positive attitude. Faith, again, is submission, submissive obedience to Jesus. I can prove through, through Scripture that faith doesn't fix everything. We're probably all in agreement that Paul is a man of faith, someone who actively trusted Jesus, even unto death. I mean, he was even killed for this. That's faith. Paul's the guy that says, I would like to be away from the body and at home with Jesus. That's faith. I mean, if faith can fix anything, Paul, Paul had, easy, had it on easy street, didn't he? If faith can fix all the problems, then Paul never faced a problem. That's what we know about Paul, right? You know this about Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I have worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. By the way, if faith can fix any situation, I would have picked zero times, not five times, to be whipped. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. I like this one. Three times I was shipwrecked. How many times do you look on the horizon and there's the storm? And you say to yourself, if we just have enough faith, if we just have enough faith, the boat's not going to be upset. The boat's not going to sink. If I just have enough faith, because the storm, whatever that storm of life is, is on the horizon. Three times Paul shipwrecked. Three times. He goes on. He says, I've been, I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. By the way, that's everyone and everywhere. 
I've been in danger at sea and in danger of false, of false believers. I've often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Maybe you like this one in Paul's life, 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, something to torment Paul to keep his mind correct and right, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. After all, this is a man of faith. Faith is going to fix this, verse 9. But he said to me, nope, nope. No, you're going to go through this. This is what you're going to deal with. This is what you're going to go through. Because in your weakness, my power is just going to be magnified. It's going to be great in your weakness. This is the same guy who says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. This is part of where we get this idea that faith can fix anything. Here, Paul is not talking about fixing every problem. He's not even talking about coming to a resolution in every problem. He is talking about finding peace through contentment in Jesus Christ in the face of hardship and in the face of plenty. He's talking about what faith does for him, perseverance, perseverance. He says, I have found a secret, right? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. My life is not my own. That's what faith is. You're giving your life over to Jesus, and then that is reflected in your life, your thoughts, your attitudes, your actions. That's faith. Active trust in Jesus. And what comes from that faith in Paul's life? Peace, joy even in the face of the worst situations you're going to face. That's the power of obedient trust in Christ. Christians suffer all the time, church. First Peter addresses the suffering of Christians. He says this inheritance in First Peter uh, chapter 1, this inheritance, that is salvation, is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power. Now, if we stop reading right there, we would say to ourselves, there you go. Faith fixes everything. I'm shielded from all the bad stuff by my faith in Jesus Christ. No, you need to read on. Your real self, your heart, your mind, your soul is shielded in God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That faith, that obedient trust in Jesus Christ protects who and what you really are, the eternal you. Forget about the space suit, okay? You're all getting rid of that anyway. The real you that lives eternally, that is protected by Jesus. The rest of the trials, you're going to have to go through. Why? We gain from those trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, faith that's worth far more than gold, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Peter tells us, encourages us, reminds us that our suffering has a purpose so that we will see and we will notice the genuineness, the heartfelt truth of our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ. I wanted Jim to be healed of cancer. You did. I prayed, you prayed, right? And I know that Jesus has the power to have healed him of his physical uh, uh, issue, the the physical cancer. I believe that more than I believe the sun's going to rise tomorrow. And I mean that. I've got more trust in that than I know the sun's going to rise tomorrow. I prayed, I trusted Jesus. 
Jim prayed, trusted Jesus. Jim died. I still trust Jesus. I still trust him. Faith is not meant to fix everything. You understand that? You realize what faith is meant to fix? It's meant to fix one thing. One thing. Faith is meant to fix. Your obedient trust in Jesus is meant to fix you. That's it. That's it. My obedient trust in Jesus is meant to fix me. To sanctify me. Change me. Correct me. Allow me to see the desire and will of God in my life and then to act upon that. Guys, that is what faith is meant to fix. Along with that, does God allow, does he desire, is it his will to allow many miracles in this world? Of course, absolutely. He does that all the time. But faith is meant to fix you. Faith is meant to fix me, my act of trust in Jesus Christ. And then what you discover is that this is the same thing David talks about even long before Christ. The desires of your heart begin to mirror the desires of Jesus' heart. Now all of a sudden you begin to realize that the desires of my heart are being granted because I've been giving over more and more of my life to Jesus Christ. But these trials, these struggles that we go through, that is a tremendous gift. It proves the genuineness of our faith. Because if I trust Jesus when everything is going my way, that's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. But when I know I trust Jesus is when I continue in obedience when nothing's going my way. When I am walking through that valley. You see, this is what Jim gained from this struggle. I said this at his funeral. Jim knew what he believed. And he knew that he believed it because of the trial he went through. He never stopped obedience to Jesus. Even when Jesus said, no, no, I'm not going to heal this one. He never stopped. He knew what he believed. And he knew that he believed it. We are eternal beings, church. You take away the spacesuit. We are sanctified by our act of trust in Jesus Christ, now we begin to see the power of faith. Are we to use this trusting obedience to help others come to know Jesus? Are we to pass this faith along? Yeah, absolutely. Help others, teach others, help open the eyes of others. But know this, your faith does not fix them. Their faith does. Their trust in Jesus fixes them. We set up the introduction. We teach, we show, but it's their faith. Matter of fact, that goes, that goes along very closely with another myth we're going to talk about during this series. Godly homes guarantee godly children. That's a myth. That's a myth. Godly homes guarantee godly children. You know that the Bible says that, and I'm going to tell you that, no, the Bible never says that once. That's a myth. Your faith is meant to fix you. So now we go back to this faith as small as mustard seed moving mountains. Jesus is driving home the point here that true faith is surrender to the will of God. That's what true faith is. 
when he talks about little and much, he's talking about authentic and inauthentic. This is the secret that Paul knew when he says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. Faith does not fix the trial. It's not even meant to. Faith sees us through trials. By the way, when he says moving mountains, faith can move mountains, he's using that the very same way you and I do, exactly the same way you and I do. He's not saying the physical movement. No, he's saying it the same way you and I do, that your active trust in Jesus Christ is going to help you, uh, to, it's going to help you accomplish the will of God in your life the works of the kingdom. He uses the example of the mustard seed for a reason. It's very, very small. It's not about having more faith. It's about having authentic faith. He's talking about poor faith or authentic faith. Poor faith causes us to misconstrue what faith is and how it works. And again, Jesus is done saying this right after the disciples could not drive out an evil spirit. Why couldn't they? They had before. They had before. Matter of fact, when they were what you might call young. See, before, what they knew was Jesus. And they knew his commands. That's it. Jesus sends them out. And they say to themselves, essentially, we're going to do what Jesus wants us to do no matter what. And what happens? Through their obedience, they end up driving out evil spirits. Ah, but now they have some experience. Now they can do it on their own. Now what's forefront in their mind is not doing what Jesus wants no matter what. Now forefront in their mind is, Spirit, you will do what I want. And the Spirit says, no, forget it. That power is not there. Why? Because faith is act of trust and the commands, the embodiment, the person, the character, the word of Jesus Christ. That's the power of faith. That's the power of faith. Not to say, not to command God to bend to my will because of my faith. It is always to give in to the will and the obedience to Jesus Christ. That's always what faith is, guys. Faith is meant to fix you and to fix me. Not everything else. Not everything else. I can't help but think that when the disciples first went out and were able to drive out evil spirits, they were a little scared. It's a new thing. A little timid. And they said, no matter what we're going to do, we're going to do what Jesus tells us to do. They were very successful in that. Boy, that almost sounds childlike, doesn't it? Almost sounds like what a child would do. I'm a little nervous, a little scared. I'm going to do what mom and dad say in this unique and strange situation. Isn't it fascinating that Jesus talks about a childlike faith? He says, just do what I tell you to do. Trust me. Let that overflow. Let that become your life. That's what faith is meant to fix. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can have a better understanding of what faith is. And Father, I ask that you will help to spell this myth in our life that somehow, in some way, faith is meant to just fix every problem in our life. Father, that, help us forget about that. Help us to want, to desire obedience 
to just do what Jesus tells us to do, to be what Jesus tells us to be, to realize that that is what this full trust is. Father, help us to, to, to think about that, to be focused on that, not the storms around us. Don't let the storms get inside of us, Father. Allow Jesus to be inside of us, change our lives, our hearts, our minds. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please stand and sing. You stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to stand. You stood before my failure. Sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So what can I say? And what can I do? But offer this
going to have a picnic, but we also want to take a picture. Ed, Ed would like a picture of us. Um, he's going to be in it unless he ran off. I don't know where he is. Uh, here's what we're going to do. Anybody who has kids, make sure you go to the back, check your kids out as quickly as possible, okay? Everybody else, we're just going to go to the front of the church. I think it should be in shadow right now at this point. We're just going to go to the front of the church. We're going to wait on everybody else that's got kids. They're going to bring them around. We're going to take a snapshot, and then from there, we're going to file back on the outside of the church, and we're going to go eat food. We're all going to meet at the front of the church. You wouldn't mind meeting, just meeting at the back by yourself. You're not, you're not going to be in this picture. Okay. It's, it's, it's a special picture. Exactly. That's what I'm hoping. Okay. All right. All right. I'm going, to, I'm going to thank God for our time, and then, like I say, just make sure you go and get your kids as quickly as you can, and go to the front of the church. We'll take a snapshot. Father, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you also, Father, that we get to share like this as a, as a, as a body, as a family. Uh, we thank you, Father, that uh, we get to have joy and hope because of Jesus. We thank you that we get to learn and be challenged in that. We thank you also, Father, that we are experiencing, we, we see, we know, we realize uh, grace, undeserved favor that you are pouring out to us. Uh, it takes many forms, Father, uh, but we know that your grace is just abounding. We thank you for that, for who you are, for what you are. In Jesus' name, amen.